you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I hope that you'll bring those with you, uh, find 2 Samuel, the 14th chapter. 2 Samuel, chapter 14. And as you're finding that, uh, there are a lot of ways that one can look at chapter 14. Uh, most people just read through it, and it's like, oh, that's confusing. Uh, but you could title this sermon, How to Fail as a Parent. Uh, you could title this sermon, How You Can Be a Terrible Leader. You could even title it, Seven Ways to Ruin Everything. You could title it, Family Drama. You could title it, Don't Put Your Nose Where It Doesn't Belong. But today I want to talk to you about when our best efforts go astray. We've all probably tried to do something or help someone, or say something encouraging, and it not go the way that we thought it would. We look back and think, boy, that just wasn't right. <laughs> uh, maybe we look back at our life and we thought, boy, I thought that would make me happy. I thought that's what I wanted, uh, but it definitely isn't. And if you're familiar with what's been going on in these few chapters as we're going verse by verse through this book, we've saw some pretty heartbreaking things in the life of King David. We've seen King David become the undisputed king. We've seen him uh, sit on his throne in Jerusalem. But yet we begin to see how at the height of his power, he began to uh, make a decision that has really affected his family. And we looked at how after that happened, his child died. And then we looked at how his one son forced himself on his half-sister. We looked at last week about unforgiveness and how Absalom held on to that unforgiveness so long that he ended up murdering his brother. Where we find ourselves today is Absalom, who had murdered his brother, fled to another country. But that country is significant because it is the country that his grandfather was in. And as if you've ever known anything about grandparents, you can upset your parents and your parents can be angry with you. But as, as long as you always need someone to come to your aid, you can usually find that with your grandparents. Uh, most of you uh, that responded to that, you have grandkids and know that you will now do things for your grandchildren that you would have never done for your children. You would let them get away with things that you never would have let your children get away with. And so Absalom runs to his mother's father House. Now, this is significant because the half-brother that he killed, he had the same dad but a different mom. And so he runs to this place of shelter. And for the last three years, King David has now been affected by all of this. And there is a man that we're going to be looking at today by the name of Joab. And today I just want you to know that this sermon is very up and close in our lives. It's very personable. It can touch on some very difficult situations. And you say, well, Jake... What's any different from usual? I'm just giving you a heads up if now you want to leave. Um, but what happens here is if you and I are honest, when things are going bad, when something is going on in our life that we're not comfortable with, or maybe we're waiting for a decision, right? Most of us know that even if it's good news or bad news, just don't make me wait. Whether it's a good decision or bad decision, just give me a choice to make a decision. And apparently what has happened is over these last three years, King David doesn't know what to do. On one hand, he's grieved his son that died. He is angry at his son for what he has done. 
But apparently what we see from this and what we're going to see is that the drama in his family life was affecting how he was king. And if you're honest, we've all seen that. How our personal life affects our work life. Happy wife, happy. Unhappy wife, miserable, right? It's true, and you have all been there or worked with someone that you knew their work performance was affected by their home life. Now, this is not to talk about someone's job, but if you are making hamburgers at McDonald's and you have a bad day at home and forget to put pickles on my sandwich, no big deal. I love pickles, but it's not the end of the world. But if you're a brain surgeon and your home life is affecting your work life, Somebody is leaving there with less than they went in with. It matters. And so what happens here is the most important person on the face of the earth, the king of Israel, is being crippled by these drama at home, by the pain that he's going through. And today I want to say this because I hope that this will help you. Because I hope that whatever is hindering you, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's as an individual, whether it's in your marriage, that if God can break that free for you today, if God can work and move in that situation, if you will let Him, it will change how you leave here today. It will change the future that you have. And so I know that there's going to be some very difficult stuff in here, but I hope that you will hear the encouragement that if doing it God's way can show you. And so if you would stand with me for just a moment as we read one verse out of reverence to God's Word, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. So Joab sees there's a problem and says, I can fix it. Pray with me. Father, this morning I, I come, Lord, asking for forgiveness. Lord, you know that I am totally incapable. Lord, I am totally unable to do what you've asked me to do this morning. And so, Father, I pray that you will not leave me here without your power, without your presence. Father, I pray that your spirit would work and move today. Lord, I'm so thankful for the baptism. Lord, we're so thankful for what you were doing in the first service. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work and to move and tear down barriers for your glory. And so, Father, I just ask for your forgiveness and your guidance, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, some people, if you read Bible commentaries, will say that David was just so heartbroken because he missed Absalom that he had become paralyzed in being unable to be king. Others will say this word for concern means that David was just so angry because he couldn't do anything about it that it was affecting him being king. But either way, whatever you think about that, it doesn't matter. It is just showing us that the decisions that other people make, the drama that can come into our life, the sins that affect us can affect us in more than just one way. And so most of you have probably known someone who is a fixer or tries to be a fixer or what we really call them are nosy people who won't leave us alone, all right? We all know someone like that that has to be involved in everything, has an opinion about everything, and that they want to fix everybody. And sometimes that is a wonderful trait. And sometimes it's not a wonderful trait. Sometimes it can be something that will help you and encourage you, 
And sometimes it's something that can destroy you. And so Joab has seen that the king needs help. He needs to do something to help King David. But if you're taking notes this morning, I want to show you this. Joab uses deceit to get what he thinks is best. Joab uses deceit to get what he thinks is best. Look here in verse 2 with me this morning as we just go through this passage of Scripture. And Joab sent to Tekoya and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Now I don't want you to miss that because it's very significant. This was not a wise woman in the sense of she was wise in the things of God. It means she was good at what she could do. And what she was probably was some kind of an actor, some kind of a public speaker. And so Joab knew that this woman could sell what he was wanting. That she could convince King David by her skill and by her quality of acting. And it says in verse 4, And when the woman of Tokia spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then this king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. You see, King David was sitting in a place of authority, and the people would come to him and say, I need you to make a decision. I need you to rule on this. I need you to make a judgment. He was acting as the official judiciary of the kingdom. And so in verse 6 it says, Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field. And there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant. And they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not put the, permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair on your son shall fall to the ground. So what happens is Joab comes up with a story, a very similar story that we see in the book of Genesis about Cain and Abel. And he tells her to go to King David with this story so that he has to pass judgment, that he has to make a decision. You see, King David could have said many different things here, but she tells him a story that is kind of like what David is going through, but not exactly like David is going through. You see, Absalom did not kill his brother in a fit of anger. He plotted. 
He schemed. He manipulated for two whole years for the right time and the right situation to murder. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis and other places that there were cities of refuge. That, for instance, if you were working with someone and something happened, an accident or manslaughter or something like that where someone lost their life, you could run to that city and you could find protection. Or even in the moment of passion, in a moment of of uncontrolled anger when you sinned, if you did something, you could find refuge in one of these cities. But these cities were never designed for premeditated murder. But yet David sitting here listening to this understands that this woman is not going to have any other offspring. Her, her husband will have no namesake. And so he decides to show mercy. And he says, I'll make a judgment. You just don't worry about it. And if you have ever dealt with a persistent person, to say that nicely, you see what happens. She goes, oh, that's not good enough. King, let me ask you one more time. And he says, okay, not only will I make judgment, but I will right now decide that no one will hurt them. And that's not enough. She pushes him again and says, but king. And he says, okay, all right. By the Lord, I promise you that no one will harm your son. And what she does here is she gets David to swear. She gets David to make an oath that he will guarantee that this brother who murdered his other brother will not be punished for his crime. And this is important because apparently for these three years, David hasn't been able to make a decision. Do I go get Absalom and bring him back? Do I forgive him and let him come back? Do I just ignore him altogether? But whatever had happened, it had crippled King David. And Joab, knowing King David's weaknesses, knowing King David's failures, Joab was probably the closest human being to David on this planet. He had been with him in the wilderness. He had been with him through the civil war where they fought the other tribes. He had been with David every step of the way. And this morning, you and I need to recognize something. There are some people who know what buttons to push on us. I can tell you exactly what things I can do to upset my wife just enough that I sleep on the couch and not outside, all right? I know exactly what makes her unhappy, what makes her happy. And if I am not spirit-filled and being led by the Lord, I know exactly what buttons to push. And Joab knew what buttons to push with King David. He knew exactly what story to use that would begin to pull on his heartstrings. And friends, I want to say this this morning because you must be on guard. Because Satan will use your past. He will use your mistakes. He will use your guilt to make you make decisions that don't honor God. Satan knows exactly the faults and failures of your life, and he will use them to affect you. And he will use other people to manipulate you. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm, the seventh chapter, starting in verse 14. Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. There are people who will lie about you. There are people who are going to betray you. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. There are people who are going to try to set traps for you. There are people who are going to go before you to try to ruin you. But listen to what God's word says. 
His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. As a believer, you have to understand something, that you are going to have enemies. Satan, you have enemies in your life with people who are being influenced by him. And they will try to manipulate you. They will try to use you. They will try to remind you of your past. But you need to be reminded that if God has forgiven you, if God has washed you as white as snow, as God has made you brand new, you cannot let the failures of yesterday define who you are today. And I want to say that clearly today because I want to show you this in verses 12 through 20. Joab's deceit accomplished what he thought was best. Joab's deceit accomplished what he thought was best. You see, Joab thought he knew what was best. Because we think about this in a family sense, but Joab was thinking about it as a national sense. Joab is thinking if these two don't reconcile, Absalom might start a rebellion. He might send the country into a civil war. And what we realize is Joab's greatest fear happened because of what Joab does here. You see, friends, there will be people who think they know what God wants for your life, but don't. There will be people who think they speak for God into your life, but don't. And so the king has committed, no one will harm your family member. No one will take their life. I promise it as the Lord lives. But look at verse 12. Therefore, the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, Say on. Now, I know that you probably don't think about things like this like I do. But I want you to picture this. She asked David something. He said, Okay. She said, No, wait. I want, to ask, I want, I want you to, to, to promise me. Okay, I promise. Now, now, I don't want you just to say you will. I don't want you just to promise it. I want you to swear about it. Okay, I'll do it. I promise. I swear. David's probably thinking, just leave me alone. Just stop nagging me to death. And then she says, but one more thing. And David's like, say on, please. No, David's probably like, oh, what is it going to take to get rid of this lady? And that's where we find ourselves. And in verse 13, so the woman said, Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? She turns the table and says, Why have you done this to us? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. She's talking about Absalom. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up. Yet God does not take away a life, but He devises means, so that He banished ones are not expelled from Him. Now therefore I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the King, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the King. It may be that the King will perform the request of his maidservant, for the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will now be comforting, for as an angel of God, so is the lord the king in discerning good and evil. And may the lord your God be with you. I want to stop right there because one, she just starts by saying, Oh yeah, thank you for that, but you're the problem. You're the one that's guilty of this. 
Do you think Joab probably was remembering back to when Nathan the prophet showed up and say, hey, there was a man who had one little lamb and there was a rich man who had everything he ever wanted, but yet he took that one little lamb and slaughtered it. And David said, that guy's got to die for what he's done. And Nathan goes, that was you. Joab uses how God had worked in the past to try to convince David today. And I don't want you to miss this today because not only that, then she begins to say, but king, your decisions are so good. You're like an angel of the Lord. You know truth no matter what. Now this has two purposes today and I want to show you how Satan will work in your life. He works through flattery. See, she was one either saying, David, you are such a good king. You make such good decisions. You are just amazing. And one David's head could have got great big like some of ours does, right? Oh, you thought that was a good sermon? Well, thank you so much. Oh, you thought my blueberry muffins were the best you've ever had? Oh, thank you so much, right? Flattery is how it works. Or it could have been to try to shame him. Because this is how Satan will work. Because can you imagine if she's saying, King, you're so wise, you're so wonderful. Kind of like Joel on television. You are just so amazing. King David's probably thinking, well, I don't know about you, but these last five years have been pretty hard. These last five years started with me at the height of my blessings committing adultery. And not only committing adultery, then trying to hide the fact that she was with my child. And not only that, trying to hide it, but then I had her husband killed. And then I was so bold and so proud that I brought her into my own home, married her, and celebrated the child that everybody else thought was God's blessing. And then after that, I lost a child because of my sin. And then I had a son do something terrible to his half-sister. And then my other son married mother, murdered my other son. And here you are talking about how I make good decisions. You see, friends, I've said this once, and I will say it two more times today. Satan will try to remind you of your failures to keep you from being who God wants you to be today. Friends, you might have been a mess years ago. You might have failed as a husband yesterday. You might struggle as a mother. You might have failed as a friend. You might have been unfaithful with a secret that someone told you. And every time you go to make a decision today, what does Satan try to do? Well, there's no reason for you to worry about it. You're just going to do what you did last time. There's no reason for you to try this time. You're just going to fail like last time. For me, in a kind of comical way, it's about losing weight. Right? Every month, the first day of the month, I'm like, this is the month. I'm not going to eat junk food. I'm going to be healthy. And I literally get through about lunchtime. And I'm like, man, that potato soup was good, but it just didn't have enough in it. And so I'll tell you what I'll do, God. I won't eat any breakfast. I'll eat just a little bit of lunch, and I'll eat a big supper. That'll be our compromise. Well, I eat supper, and then by breakfast, I'm what? I'm hungry. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'll eat a big breakfast, a little lunch, and no supper. So I eat a big breakfast, a little lunch, and then my supper, it's like, oh. And by the end of day two, doesn't matter. Next month comes around, Lord, I've got this. I'm going to do it. Day two. And that's kind of comical because all of us kind of struggle with that. But when it's about being a husband or what kind of father you are or, or how you're going to be as a parent, 
those decisions that you've made in the past that maybe did not work out the way you thought they would will bring you to a poise like King David where you can't make any decision. That's why we're watching families fall apart. We're watching homes be destroyed. Because yes, there's things in your past that you're ashamed of. Yes, there's things in your past that you regret. Yes, there's sins that you've committed. But remember this, if God has forgiven you, He has forgiven you. And the guilt that Satan tries to bring upon you, well, you can't teach Sunday school because you know how you are. Well, you, you can't tell everybody else how to manage, manage their life. You, you know you can't. Satan begins to work that way. And that's what this lady does here. And you say, how could she know exactly what to say to David? How could she know the exact buttons to push? How could she know exactly the struggles that David had? And listen to these next verses. Then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide anything from that I ask. And the woman said, Please let my lord king speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? Do you think that Joab had probably had these conversations with King David for the last three years? You've got to do something, David. You've got to get over it. You've got to find forgiveness. You've got to make it right. You've got to deal with it. You've got to do something, David, but you can't just sit here. And after three years of not being listened to, what does he do? I'm going to get my point across one way or the other. And the woman answered, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or the left for anything that my lord the king had spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me and put all, don't miss that, all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. See, once again, she's like, yep, you figured it out, King David. She's probably thinking, am I going to die? Am I going to be banished? Am I going to be thrown in prison? But did you notice this? That even though it was this woman talking, it was not her. It was Joab. And you said, Joab's just a nice guy. He just cares about David. I don't think we see that in the text. I think if you remember when King David was about to make peace with his enemies in 1 Samuel, Joab hated a man so much that he murdered him in an alley. I think if you read throughout the entire part of Joab's life, he was always about himself. He was worried about his position, his authority, his future. And what he sees is King David is crumbling as a king, and he says, my future is attached to this man. His future is my future. His success is my success. His failure is my failure. Now, we all call, we've all seen him at work. We call them brown nosers. They're the employee who, when they started working there, hated the Cubs. But because their boss likes the Cubs, and no one should like the Cubs, started liking the Cubs, they started wearing a Cubs hat to work. Then the boss started playing golf, and this guy who used to call it a rich sport for rich old white guys starts playing golf. You watch that, and they begin to like everything that their boss likes because they want to be in good graces. Friends, you're always going to have people like that. Go watch kids' sports. That's why the saying is, oh, they must be the coach's kid. 
Why? Because if we're not careful, we only worry about ourselves. And when people don't know the Lord, it's always about them. And this morning you need to know that you are either going to get a word from God or a word from people. You're going to hear what God wants for your life or you're going to hear what people want from you for their life. What they can get from you. What they can get out of you. And so Joab's deceit has accomplished something. That David's made a decision. That David is moving forward. Romans 16 says it like this, starting in verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine with which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Friends, don't worry about the person who doesn't like you and tells you. You know right up front what they think about you. Be very cautious about the person who is so kind to you and so encouraging to you and so friendly to you that is knifing you when you're not around. You have to be on guard because that's how Satan will work. Satan will try to convince you and I that we're doing what God wants. We're heading in the right direction, but yet God's plan for our life might be something totally different. Third and final thing today, and I'll try to be quick. Joab celebrated what would end up harming David. Joab celebrated what would end up harming David. Look here in verses 22 through 24. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king and the king that has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. By bringing Absalom back, Absalom next week is going to use his own trickery to get back into a relationship with the king. He will use that very same relationship with the king to turn the kingdom against him. Now, I don't know how things would have worked out, but if Joab would have just stayed out of it, if Joab would have just let God work this situation out, maybe Absalom never comes home. Maybe Absalom never runs him out of his palace. Maybe he never drives him from the throne. But friends, this morning I want you to see this. That just because someone is working doesn't mean they're working from the Lord. Just because someone is investing in you does not mean they're investing for the Lord. And Joab celebrates this, doesn't he? Thank you, king, for listening. Thank you, king, for honoring this request. Thank you, king, for all that you're doing. You see, Joab was celebrating the wrong things. And friends, I'm going to say this this morning, and I know it's not popular. I know it upsets people. You just have to find someone else. We are watching our country and we are watching churches celebrate things that God never promised to bless. We do it all the time. I'm going to say this this morning and I'm just, it's what the Bible says. We are watching our culture embrace the sin of homosexuality and not just embrace it but celebrate it. 
There's a whole month called Pride Month, but yet the Bible says that pride cometh before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. But yet we celebrate sin. We celebrate it with parades and flags and, and, and marches and we celebrate something that we think will bring happiness to people, but God's not in it. And not only that, we see how God's most beautiful and wonderful promise to mankind is displayed in one of the most beautiful natural effects that you will ever see in a rainbow. It's God's promise to this world that He will never totally flood it and destroy it by water again. Yet it has been hijacked. Same thing can be said about politics. Doesn't matter if they're a Democrat, doesn't matter if they're a Republican, person's integrity matters. We should be worried about who we support, who we follow, who we will throw our money behind, because why? Wickedness should never be celebrated. You see, we ought to be celebrating the things of God. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, between 2 and 5, if you are just not tied up, you should be here. You say, what, I got to come back Sunday afternoon? Why? Because there is a 50th wedding anniversary celebration for Steve and Debbie Johnson. I don't know if you know this or not, but marriage should be celebrated. That's all right. I'm going to say it again because it's right. Marriage should be celebrated. The Bible says that it's honorable, that God blesses it. And as the people of God, we ought to be celebrating the things of God while the world celebrates the things of wickedness. Listen to what Philippians, the first chapter says, starting in verse 9 and in verse 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. We should approve the things of God. Not that we are the ones that give approval, but that we celebrate what God is doing. We're celebrating God's blessings. We're celebrating God doing things His way. We should be celebrating the fact that two young people will save themselves for marriage. That's all, that's all, I'm going to say it again until you get it. We ought to be celebrating the fact that young people will save themselves for marriage. We ought to be celebrating the fact that God is saving people. We ought to be celebrating the fact that God is at work and God is moving and God is blessing and God is doing things because Satan is always going to celebrate wickedness. And that's why it is the church's job to declare the works of God, to celebrate the things of God. Not this Sunday afternoon, but the next Sunday. And the next Sunday, hopefully, uh, we will be here again celebrating on Sunday afternoon uh, two young ladies who have been blessed by God to be pregnant, to have the gift of life. God is the giver of life, and so we should celebrate. You see, if this church wants to see God really break loose, if you really want to see God break loose in your marriage and in your life, the first thing you have to start doing is celebrating who He is and what He's done in your life. And turn all the griping and the moaning and the complaining into, God, you have been so good to me. God, you have blessed me. God, you've taken care of me. God, I'm so thankful for all the things you've done in my life. And as you begin to celebrate 
who He is and what He does, it will change who you are. And if this world is going to see Jesus in us, it has to be because we are declaring and celebrating what He has done for us. And that is the fact that He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die upon a cross, to be buried, and to rise again. And that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. We celebrate that. We celebrate in a world of brokenness that God can put the broken back together. We celebrate a God who can heal the hurting. We celebrate Him and what He could do. This last week I read an article about a Methodist church. A young couple was wanting to dedicate their child to the Lord. And the Methodist pastor sent a letter saying, we don't do child dedications, we do infant baptisms. And I'm not for infant baptisms, but don't miss the story. They sent a letter to him saying, I cannot do it. I just don't feel it's appropriate. And on the other side of that, you and your significant other are never at church. You're living in sin. And I cannot in good faith help you dedicate a child to the Lord if you're not going to raise that child to the Lord. I say this because that is now on social media and Christians and non-Christians are crucifying this Methodist pastor. The things that are being said, the things that are being shared are horrific. It, it's awful. And what I want to do is I want to send that pastor a letter and say thank you. Thank you for taking a stand. Thank you for recognizing that if we're going to be Christians, we ought to live for Christ. If I'm going to stand before a church and tell you I'm going to raise my children to love God and to love Jesus and to follow Him, I need to be willing to do it. It's not just a ceremony where we come up here and we all say, Oh, look at that cute little baby. Looks like hopefully his mother, right? It's serious. Friends, we ought to celebrate not only when God is at work, but when God's people do what they're supposed to. When God's people take a stand. When God's people stand for truth. And so today I just want to encourage you that while you might feel alone today in your marriage trying to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, you're not alone. Whether you're here today and you say, Jake, I'm the only one in our marriage that's trying to make it work, you are not alone. If you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I've just been through so much, thrown so much damage, so much baggage, so much hurt, I just, I just don't see how God could work. He can. And today, trust Him. Believe Him. And even though it might seem like it's best to get involved and do it yourself, let Him work. You say, Jake, I got some prodigals in my family. You just keep praying for them. You just keep telling them about the love of Jesus and what they mean to you. And you let God change them. You say, Jake, I got some things in my life going on that I don't think can be fixed. They can on your own. But with Him, they can. And so what we see in this passage of Scripture is someone who makes things worse. But I want you to know this morning that if you'll trust Him, rely on Him, He has the answer in every situation. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Not mine, but yours, Lord. 
Lord, I know it's uncomfortable. Lord, I know it is personal. I know it hits close to home. God, I know that all of our families have difficulties and struggles and challenges. God, I know that we've all been hurt. We've all been let down. We've all failed. And so, Father, today I just pray that you would show us that you have a purpose and plan for our life. Father, for that person that's here hurting today and don't, do not think they can make it one more day, Lord, just show them that you're with them. Father, for that person that's sitting here with so much guilt and shame that they just can't even imagine why they came, today, Lord, show them that you can take it all away. And Father, for that person that's here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that's here today realizing they are a sinner and in rebellion against you, that, Father, you would forgive them. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be convicting them, drawing them, and working in their lives today to forever change them. Father, I pray today for all the hurt, the baggage, God, that this would be a place that we could come and lay it down, Lord, knowing that you will answer, that you will hear. Father, I pray for those who have been through the difficulty that are now in a season of blessing, that they will be thankful and be in a season of thanksgiving. And Lord, whatever needs to go on in this place today would. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.